Mrs. Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi, owner and executive chef of The Raging Skillet in New York City. And welcome once again to Raging and Eating, my podcast dedicated to life and love and laughter and living. And most of all, more than anything else, to cooking and eating and enjoying fabulous, soulful food. Now, I have to admit to you right now, um, we're here, here again late at night as usual, par usual. You know I prefer life late at night. I'm a little bit of a vampire, you might say, except that I like to go to sleep, you know, by midnight anyway. But I do sort of love the close to midnight hour. That's kind of when I get my yayas and when I like to talk to you the most. So it's a little early for me tonight because I think it's only a little after 10. But whatever. Dayenu, we're talking now. So what's on my mind is a combination of thankfulness and gratitude. Appreciation. Things like that. In a lot of ways. So I've been catering lots and lots of large events lately and after 15 very quiet months very sad and dark and strange and surreal months during COVID now of course the whole world is calling and I went from working very little to having to turn down work because there's so much of it but I don't take anything for granted because I know the dry spell can come You know, you never know. Life is weird between hurricanes and pandemics and everything else. So I've had the experience of catering some really beautiful weddings and really beautiful bas mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs for people who don't really have so much money, but they manage to save it enough to try to have a beautiful wedding or a beautiful bas mitzvah or bar mitzvah for their son or daughter. And those people who were really kind of watching every penny and just trying to do something nice but didn't have a lot of money to throw around. They really appreciated the good, beautiful food that I would give them. I felt even more inspired to do something spectacular for them because I knew that it wasn't something they could normally afford. We did a wedding for a couple. They really didn't have much money, and you could tell. But there was so much love between them and so much love with them and their vendors, their DJ, their florist, their caterer, me. And it was spread all around. And the wedding was spectacular and delicious and fun and awesome. And they were so grateful and so thankful. The praise was overflowing. And that felt like, I cannot tell you how wonderful that felt. It made me want to do anything I could for them. And I've also had the experience quite recently of catering for some people who have an enormous amount of money who just want to throw it around to just show off and have an event where they didn't really care about the soul of the event. They didn't really care about the love of the event. They just cared about showing off how rich they were and how showy and shiny they were. They wanted more and more and more abundance 
and they invited over a whole bunch of their friends who were equally rich and equally thankless. And I brought in some good and decent and caring people to work as waiters and bartenders and chefs. And they worked their heart off, heart out, heart off, everything. And we managed to give some really, really, really beautiful food to a whole lot of people for many hours in a very difficult situation. And it came off, well, it was magical in a lot of ways. The fact that we were able to give people hot, beautiful food in this difficult situation with no kitchen. We were pitched in a tent a hundred yards away and it was all very difficult and yet we pulled it off. And so at the end of the night, I was so grateful to my staff and the people who helped me. The client never thanked anyone. I got one thank you at the end of the night from one of the clients, but essentially no one said thank you. No one was grateful. No one was kind to the staff. No one seemed to be kind to anyone. It was an entire event of thankless, unkind, very rich, very show-offy people. And so I guess there were two things I could have done at the end of the night. Could have just filled myself with hatred and venom at having given so much of my heart and soul and having had my staff go above and beyond the call of duty and get no thanks and no love and no appreciation. But what I thought was a better thing to do was to turn around and give what wasn't given to me, what wasn't given to us. And so I praised my staff and I hugged them and told them much I loved them and appreciated them and thanked them profusely and tried to fill that void of thanklessness and self-centeredness with the opposite. And so even though I knew in my heart that the client had completely unappreciated the effort, not bothered to give thanks in any way, but had certainly enjoyed the result of it, even though I knew that, there was no reason for my staff to know that. I wanted them to go off into the night knowing that they had done their best, that they had been seen and appreciated and adored and thanked. And I followed it up with two days of text messages and praising. So I guess my point is, first of all, yeah, all right, I admit it. I'm a little ticked off at how horrifying these people were. But that's not my point. My point is I didn't have to go to their level. I could maybe change the universe a little bit. At least I could change the universe a little bit for these, what was it, almost 30 people who were working for me. First of all, I thank my higher power, which I suppose is Barbara Streisand or Bette Midler, I'm not sure. But I thank my higher power for being in a position where I could employ almost 30 people. I think it was 30 people. I'm not sure. I lost count. And I thank my higher power for being able to create beauty in a difficult situation and for being able to give the love and the kindness and the thanks and the gratitude 
to really hardworking people who deserved it. Even though I didn't get it, even though the client didn't give it to them, I could give it to them. And they went off to go and have a wonderful rest of their weekend knowing they were appreciated in every way. So I guess if you're in that situation, so let's say you're a waiter and you're in a restaurant and you have some customers come in and you give them great food and great service and they leave and they tip you like a dollar. Maybe it's a hundred dollar bill and they give you like five bucks. I mean, some really crappy tip like that. Well, first of all, I have to say, I think there's a special place in hell for lousy tippers. That's my personal opinion. So if you happen to be a lousy tipper, well, I would suggest you not die because I think you're going to go to lousy tipper hell where you should anyway. But let's say you're a waiter and you get this really lousy tip. You give them your heart and your soul and you do a great job and great food and the bill's like a hundred something dollars and they leave you five bucks. Well, of course you want to chase after them and tell them what you think of them. Of course you have maybe some urge inside to find their shoes and spit in them. Not that you really could, but you know what I mean. You might have this urge to perhaps um, look up their phone number and their address and urinate on their mail. I mean, who knows? Or maybe that's just me. I've never really done that, but it sounds kind of fun. I'll put it on my bucket list. I would one day like to urinate on someone's mail, but I will not. Anyway, but instead... Maybe you could change the tide of the universe. Maybe you could say, well, those people were selfish and self-centered and they didn't appreciate me and they're lousy tippers and they're going to lousy tip hell. But I don't have to be like that. Maybe you could in turn walk by a homeless person and not ignore them. And if you don't have any money, give them an apple or tell them you're so sorry you don't have any money and you feel bad about it, but don't just treat them like they're nothing, like they're invisible, like most people do. And I'm not saying I've never done that. I have done that on a day when I'm in a rush and I just don't have the time to be panhandled. We've all done it. But let's try to be better. So if you put your heart in your soul and these people stiff you for the tip, change the universe, go out and do something nice appreciate if you go to Dunkin Donuts and the person behind the counter gives you a really great tasting cup of coffee which I have to say you know Dunkin Donuts coffee is pretty good you know and I don't even drink coffee anymore I had to give it up because it was making me too evil it really is true I got hooked on these intense Cuban coffees these cafe con leches my god they were so thick you could you needed a fork to drink them. But I found that they made me angry all the time because I was so caffeinated. My heart was thumping. So I had to give up coffee because they were making me evil. And I switched to decaffeinated green tea. And now I'm a kinder, softer person. Kinder and softer than I was anyway. Perhaps a little more boring because coffee is exciting. But I digress as always. So let's say you get a good cup of coffee at Dunkin' Donuts and maybe you've just been stiff for a tip or disrespected or 
your boss didn't appreciate you. Well, don't pass it on to that poor kid at Dunkin' Donuts. They're working for minimum wage. Be nice. Be kind. If your change is 50 cents, just give it to them. For crying out loud, life is short. So, here's the other thing I know. Even though those people I cooked for were stuck up, selfish, self-centered, thankless, rich, arrogant, show-offy, dingleberries. I didn't say a few words I wanted to say, but I'll let you imagine what those words might have been. Even though all of that is true, I did a trick that I've done. I've been doing it for years. I walk through the crowd, especially when we were trying to set up the kids' buffet stations, which is a whole other story in itself. But I walk through the crowd, and I try to find some faces, some kind-looking faces, some sweet faces. I found the face of a little boy. He was really cute, and he looked sort of nervous and scared. I think maybe he was someone who possibly was unpopular in school, or I don't know. He seemed like he was trying very hard to fit in, and he was nervous and scared. I just froze on his face. There was a little boy I could really get the love for. I could really feel kindness for him. I could really feel his vulnerability and his fear. And I looked through the audience some more, and I saw a woman who seemed, she seemed sort of uncomfortable and sweet and just a little different than everyone else. It's interesting how the people that were the kindest looking were the ones who felt the most uncomfortable or seemed to be. But I just told myself I'm cooking for them. So I didn't let the thankless, stuck-up and selfless, self-centered people, not selfless, self-centered, turn me off. I just found some people I could love in the audience, and I told myself I'm cooking for them. And I did. You know what? I think it was probably... I don't know if it was the nicest food we ever made, but it was certainly up there in the top 10. And it was certainly the hardest. In 32 years, I think that's the hardest I've ever worked on an event. I poured my heart and soul into it. And so did everyone else. And my staff, my team, especially my kitchen team, they poured their heart and soul into it for me. They didn't know the client. They were never thanked by the client. They were never cared about by anyone in that event. They did it for me because they knew and they know that I care about them and appreciate them. And that because of that, even when they're exhausted, even when they're so tired they can hardly stand, they'll go the extra mile for me. So it all comes back. And together, we created some beautiful, beautiful food. We had a gorgeous seared salmon that I made a beautiful pomegranate glaze for. I reduced balsamic vinegar and shallots and pomegranate molasses and a little bit of gluten-free tamari. Might as well. Why not? Some salt and some pepper. And I gave it my secret special ingredient that I love in my sauces and my fish glazes and nobody ever sees it coming which is Manischewitz Conquered Grape Passover Wine reduced all of that 
and gave it a little heat with a touch of sriracha. I love saying that, sriracha. I think if I was a drag queen, if I was a drag queen, that would be my name. I am sriracha. Anyway, cooked it down and glazed, glazed, glazed the fish with it. First, we took the filet and tossed it in olive oil and salt and pepper and seared it on all sides so we had a nice crust. Then we laid it on bacon sheets and glazed it in the pomegranate and sriracha glaze. It was beautiful. Love that word. What can I say? And then I also had a beautiful herb marinated breast of chicken that I made as port wine sauce where I reduced port wine forever. A whole bottle of port wine and a whole bottle of red wine reduced. Got me maybe a half a pint of sauce. It took forever. And in that reduction, I was giving it some caramelized garlic and I was giving it some sweet red onion. And I was giving it a little bit of raspberry syrup, believe it or not. Raspberry syrup is a gorgeous thing. And some cracked pepper and some ground cumin and some salt and celery salt and it all came together with this beautiful port wine glaze and I marinated the chicken in a marinade that I made out of thyme and parsley and scallion and garlic and olive oil and a little bit of mustard just a touch of mustard and it was beautiful we marinated it for two days and roasted it and then as it came out on the plate I zigzagged a Jackson Pollock of my port wine glaze. That was a gorgeous, sexy thing. And everything was beautiful. Even the vegetables were beautiful. You know, it takes a lot of work to make vegetables, especially at a catered event, stand out on their own as practically the star of the show. We cut up turnips and parsnips. We were doing a harvest autumn kind of thing. And we cut up carrots too, because carrots are beautiful and we sliced fennel, and we roast golden beets, and all of these things we roast separately, and then we combine them the day of the party with salt and cracked pepper and fresh chopped thyme, and then we roasted some beautiful asparagus, and we tossed that in, and it was this beautiful harvest vegetable medley. So on your plate, you had the beautiful medley and the pomegranate glazed salmon or the port wine sauce, roast herb breasted chicken and then the rice was so exciting I cooked wild rice which is really kind of an easy fun thing to cook if you do it this way I'd always cooked it stovetop and it takes forever and no one's ever strong enough to lift that pot it's a pain in the tushy lots of chazarai chazarai and sriracha my two drag queen names anyway Now I put my wild rice in a baking pan and I cover it with water, maybe two or three inches. I foil the top, shove it in the oven, maybe three, 350, forever. I mean, it does take forever. You need a lot of time. You gotta give it maybe two hours if you're lucky. Well, we made the wild rice the day before. And the other thing we made the day before, I made a beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous jasmine rice, if I do say so myself. First, we washed the rice because, you know, rice can be pretty dirty. You don't know where it came from, who was messing with it, you know. It could have some funkadelic things about it. 
So we washed the jasmine rice. And then I sauteed up a whole bunch of minced onion. It was beautiful. Yes, that is my neighbor's loud chihuahua barking in the distance. I have some rude, thankless neighbors too. But I digress. Anyway, I sauteed up a ton of chopped onions. And then in the big giant rondo, it's like a giant frying pan, after I sauteed the onions, I threw in my washed rice. So now we have just dry rice and oil and sauteed onions. And I'm just basically frying it. I want the rice to be really fried and coated and hot in the caramelized onions. And I threw in into my rice, so I have no liquid. I threw in kosher salt and fresh ground pepper and ground coriander and a little bit of paprika and cooked all that up. And in another pot, I boiled vegetable stock. And my ratio was like one and a half to the rice. So I had four cups of jasmine rice. And I had six cups uh, of vegetable stock, kind of like that. Only in my case, it was four quarts of jasmine rice and six quarts of vegetable stock. And that is still my neighbor's chihuahua in the distance. Isn't it a lovely thing? I'm so happy I don't have a gun. Anyway, I would never shoot a chihuahua. It's my neighbor you have to worry about. But I digress. So I sauteed up my rice. I put it all in baking pans. I covered it with the boiling stock, foiled the top. In the oven, it went half hour. Out came beautiful rice. Now I waited and just let everything get to room temperature and chilled everything. And the next day, I tossed up my wild rice and my jasmine rice. And I seasoned it up a little bit. And then on the party, I tossed in fresh chives that we sliced up, toasted pecans that tasted beautiful, and we sliced shiitake mushrooms and sauteed those and tossed them in. And we had this very harvesty, nutty, wild rice pilaf. Now that was a beautiful plate. So imagine your beautiful salmon in the pomegranate glaze and the very nutty wild rice and jasmine rice pilaf and the medley of harvest vegetables, the fennel and the turnips and the parsnips and the carrots, beautiful, and the golden beets and then the asparagus for color and fresh chives on everything. Or unless you had the chicken, you had the same thing with the beautiful chicken and the port wine sauce. All came out piping hot, even though our kitchen was so far away, we might as well have been in another state. Piping hot and beautiful. And everyone loved it. And how do I know everyone loved it? Because the kitchen was right next to what we call sanitation, which is where all the dirty plates go. And what I looked at was a whole bunch of empty plates, which meant that those people ate every bit of that beautiful food as well they should. So, how did I fill the void of an event for people who had a superiority complex, who felt their poo-poo didn't stink, who were self-centered and thankless and snobby, and a thousand more things I will say, which I won't say right now because I'm a polite lady and my drag queen name is Sri Raja unless you want to call me Chazarai. Actually, that's my full name, Sriracha Chazarai. That's my drag queen name. Anyway, I filled the void with beautiful food. 
And then at the end, we did some gorgeous, sexy desserts because you have to start big and finish big. So for hors d'oeuvres, we had exciting hors d'oeuvres. I did my Korean barbecue beef mini tacos, which was a slice of Korean barbecue flank steak in a little baby taco with a sauce I made out of roasted red pepper and miso and scallion and sesame and tamari pureed and sliced scallions. And that's an exciting hors d'oeuvre, can you imagine? And little latkes with my homemade applesauce and sour cream, also very exciting. And a snapper crudo, which is kind of like ceviche-ish, served in a little miso spoon. So we started out very, very, very exciting. And then we had this beautiful dinner, and then we ended exciting. We had little harvest fruit pies, little baby harvest fruit pies. They were adorable. And we had little lemon tarts, which is like a very tart and sweet and gorgeous baby lemon pie. It was a beautiful thing. Very exciting, my darling, if I do say so myself. We had our super fudgy deep chocolate brownies that I crusted in sea salt. I don't know how we ever had chocolate without sea salt. I mean, those two love each other. I mean, they love each other like, think of people who love each other. We'd say they love each other like Sonny and Cher, but then Sonny and Cher stopped loving each other. But then Cher was really upset when Sonny died because it turned out they really did love each other. So I guess you could say chocolate and sea salt love each other like Sonny and Cher, but I like to think of a couple that actually stayed together. I mean, can you think of a couple that actually stayed together? Like for the long haul? I'm sure that exists, right? I just can't seem to think of one at the moment. Well, my parents stayed together for 40 years until we lost my mother, but um, I don't think they loved each other as much as Sonny and Cher did. I'm not sure. And I'm not sure they loved each other as much as dark chocolate and sea salt do. But they loved each other a lot, and they stayed together forever until we lost mom, and they would have stayed together 40 years longer if she'd lived. So maybe it is like dark chocolate and sea salt. But anyway... You start big, you go big, and you finish big. So, if in your life, if you're a secretary and your boss doesn't appreciate you, don't just keep doing that. Don't take that crappy thing and continue it into the universe. Instead, pass on something great. You may have a crappy boss who's not thankful, but you be thankful and you be appreciative and you be kind. We could start to change the universe a little bit. There's a lot of politicians out there who seem like they really don't care about us. And you know what? Maybe they really don't care about us. Maybe they just are on a power trip. Maybe they just want a steady paycheck. Maybe they don't give a shit. Oops, I digress. Maybe they don't care if we live or die. But that doesn't mean you have to do that. You have to just... Give kindness to the world. So I'm sorry about that little slip I made. I've never done that before. Please forgive me. I'm trying so hard to not have a potty mouth. Anyway, this is Rossi for Raging and Eating. And as always, remember, food is love, and so are you. And try to go out and be good and kind and decent and thankful and not like those crappy people I just had to cook for. Have a delicious day.